If you don't mind going with me to Luke chapter 2. And I'll begin reading from verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. My heart left with joy when I read this passage again. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, who are we? Who am I that you should come to the earth in flesh and to be concerned about us? But Simeon knew what the law stated, and he knew that there was a promise that God would send a Messiah to comfort the hearts of his people Israel. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is here, that he is still a consolation to our hearts, and he wants to heal our hearts from the pain of sin, from being ravaged. And if there's any of you among us today who feel so unworthy, who feel as if you're not good enough, that no one cares about you. That you've lived a life that's that you're ashamed of. You've never heard the words of love. Someone never praised you. Know today that Jesus is our consolation. And the reason why he came is to separate you and me, from sin, that we can have a heart that's pure, that will not rise up when family says things that are hard to us, when friends that we love betray us, that we can be in that place of peace and say, Jesus, you are worthy to come into my life. You are the one that sees my heart. And Lord, I now give you full access to now come and separate me from my sin. If you're weeping in your heart today, and you've not found joy, and you've not found love and peace, I know that Jesus can come and set you free today. 
When Peter spoke to the crowds, this is what he said to them. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's the blessing that we have as we celebrate the birth of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. That we have a gift of Jesus, that he'll come and separate us. That we can live holy and righteous. That we cannot have a bitter taste in our mouths. Know today that Jesus is the one that is worthy, that sees into your life, that sees the mess, that sees the sin, but yet know that he is the only one that can come and make things right, that can come and give you a future that has hope, that has meaning. So I welcome you today to the heart of Jesus. Let him come and draw the pain out of your heart and replace it with his joy, his peace, and his hope. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. We would usually open the mic at this time for testimonies, for shouts of praise and victory, for words of promise that Jesus has laid upon our hearts that's causing us to go forth. Isaiah 9, I'll begin reading with verse 6. Isaiah 9. I'll begin with verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, let your word be clear to our hearts. For you, Jesus are wonderful. You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. And it is under your government that we have gathered today to worship you. Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. What is the gospel? Of course, you know that it comes from the Greek word meaning good news. The gospel is good news, but that's not the gospel. Deliverance from sin. Yes, it does deliver us from sin, but that's not the gospel. Peace and joy. Is that the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. Those are benefits of the gospel. Those are not the gospel. 
So what is the gospel? The gospel is a man, a God-man. Jesus is the gospel. Now, that's an uncomfortable statement because most of us being raised in an American culture want to be able to reap the benefits of the intellectual understandings that we gain. So we say the gospel is good news, good news that our sins are forgiven. We say, thank you, I can take that. We say the gospel is joy and love and peace. Thank you. We'll take a serving of that too. But how do you take a serving of Jesus Christ? You can't take a serving of Jesus. He is a man. He is God. He is gospel. So the uncomfortableness with Jesus is that most of us have taken information about Jesus, about the gospel, and we have taken advantage of that, and it has improved our lives. We have been able to conquer certain sins. We've been able to improve the flow of our life. If I were a total pagan, I would still choose to live as a Christian because it's a clean way of life. It's a loving way of life. It's an honorable way of life. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is a man, Jesus. And he did not come to bring peace on the earth. Jesus, in our culture, is a sentimental figure of peace and goodwill toward all men. The scriptures does not say peace and goodwill to all men. It says peace to men on whom his favor rests. So the favor of God has to rest on you before you have the peace of God in you. So we don't take the benefits of the gospel and say, thank you very much, now I can go ahead and live my life. These truths that you've spoken of will help me live a better and more successful life here. It's a good strategy to pursue. That's not the gospel of Jesus. Let me read it for you. Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you can take all of the truth of the Gospels and improve your life, magnificently so, and still be lost. Salvation does not come by taking the information about Jesus and distilling that into principles of truth and then choosing to live that way. That does not bring you salvation. Jesus came to separate the man or woman who would give up their life and take on the life of Jesus Christ. Let's take just a minute and let's talk about who this Jesus is. You notice I did not say who this Jesus was. Look at John, the first chapter. The first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the most startling event up to this point in history was a God who would come down and wrap himself in human flesh. And he did not do that in order that we could live healthier, happier lives. Jesus did not come so that we could prosper in the direction of our life. I hear people say, you have to go after what you most love. If you go after what you most love and his name is not Jesus, you may prosper for a short time here, but you will not prosper in eternity. You will be cast out. Please understand what I'm saying. Jesus is not a set of philosophical principles. Jesus is not a strategy for life. Jesus is not a fount of wisdom. Jesus is a person. He is a God-man. Now please, Christians worship one God, not three gods. We worship one God, and that God expresses himself in three manifestations, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But that is only true after the plan of salvation was put into effect. Before God came and created the earth, there was no Father, and there was no Son, and there was no Holy Spirit. There was God, one God, 
And this one God manifest himself in three persons. Is God not welcome to express himself in any way he desires among us? Of course he is. He's God. He rules over the universes, not just one universe, the multiplied universes. It was God who came and created this earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is God who came down and was wrapped in human flesh. He knew the only way he could save us was to come and be one of us. And so God came and wrapped himself in human flesh, and we saw his glory. Now, Jesus, when he was walking on this earth, was fully man and fully God. Do I understand that? No, I don't. I don't understand how a man and a God can come into one unity. That's the mystery we're going to explore throughout eternity. How did God and man become one? And and what was going on in God's mind that he would condescend to be joined together and become a part of his creation. He is the creator God. He made us. And then he bows down so low that he becomes one of us. That is love. That's love beyond anything I can begin to comprehend. If you look in the book of Philippians, there is, there's a passage there that is so astonishing to me. Do you understand that what God wanted to do was to take, as C.S. Lewis says, these little tin men and women who were stiff and hard, He wanted to take these stiff, hard, little, self-serving, self-serving soldiers. And he wanted to make them men and women of flesh with soft, humble hearts. He wanted to make them to be like himself. Now, if you begin to understand the radicalness of what I'm saying to you today, you will recognize that your life, your agenda, your goals are dead end. Your responsibilities that you think are so important are not a drop in the bucket of importance compared to what I'm trying to tell you now. That God has given us an opportunity He became like us so we can become like him. And we lay off everything of this world. And we enter into Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We move into him and he moves into us. 
And he makes us into new men and new women who no longer function with the values of this culture. You heard my brother say something most interesting about this bonchon chicken. Is this his business? He said, no, it's not my business. It's God's business. You know what that means? It means God has to be his boss. Because if he tries to be the boss, God's going to fire him. How would you like to get fired from your life? Because your life is not yours. It belongs to God. He claims you. He wants you. He loves you. Now listen, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? Who, being in very nature God, he is God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is one. He created all things. All power is in his hands. Who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, when he became a God-man, he gave up his place in heaven. In this manifestation. And now God is going to walk among us, not exercising his power as God, but he is going to be totally dependent On his father, never before called father. But now he's father. All of the names of God in the scripture are salvation names. We don't know the true name of God. Jesus, Lord, Savior. All of these are names of God that are salvation names. Because God decided to empty out himself to save the weakest of all of his creatures called the sons and daughters of Adam. So he condescended to giving up his position in heaven as the manifest Jesus and did not try to grab a hold of his past or his power. His power and I. I have to be careful here because I'm speaking of that which I don't know very much. But the divine power was shrouded so that Jesus walked in the presence and not the God presence. So that Jesus did not use any power that is not available to you and to me. He only spoke what he heard the Father speak to him. He only did what the Father told him to do. And one of the reasons that I spend a great deal of time reading the scriptures and studying it is because by so doing, I learn how to be a God-man as a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm not God, but God comes and dwells in us. And he orders our steps. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus did not walk through his years on this earth trying to prove anything to anybody. How much energy did you spend this last week trying to prove that you were somebody to someone? How much of your conversation was aimed at, hey, guys, I'm somebody. Don't mess with me. You should be respecting me. How quickly are you offended when someone does not show you the respect you think you are due? Is that offensive to you? I hear people say, he disrespected me. Oh, really? What are you hanging on to? Some image of who you are? Like a god? Jesus did not cling to being somebody. He did not grasp after being important but made himself nothing. So he didn't wait for other people to make him nothing. He chose to be nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Look, Jesus could have showed up on this earth, riding in on a cloud with a great throne on it, dazzling the world, showing up in Jerusalem, and having the whole world streaming to Jerusalem to see this God-man who's shown up, and everyone bowing humbly before him. Jesus didn't come that way. He came as the most vulnerable, as a baby lying in a manger, instead of a gold-gilted bed, instead of guards protecting him. He was utterly vulnerable to us. He came as the least among us. Sometimes when I'm driving my old Toyota Camry with the bandages on the mirror to hold it together, the band-aids on the mirror to hold it together, and I pull into a parking lot and I, I pull right in and there's a There's a Porsche sitting on my right, and there's a new hot Mercedes on my left. I used to cringe, and I'd move the car somewhere else. (laughs) Now I pull in between those two fancy cars, and I say, Jesus, wow, do they have to make payments on their cars. I don't have to make payments. You've been so kind to me. And the car gets me from point A to point B. You understand, I used to drive Mercedes, and that's all I would drive. No more. I drive my humble donkey, and I rejoice in it almost with perverse pleasure. Jesus took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death. So Jesus gave himself in death. Please, if you were going to die, how would you like to die? Would you rather die being crucified on a cross, stripped naked, utterly shamed? Or would you rather die in a guilted bed, with family all around, fawning over what a great person you've been? I mean, if you have to die, would you like to go out in style? Or would you like to be hung on a cross, upside down like Peter was? Jesus humbled his heart. Now, please, would you hear me? It is a choice to humble our hearts. It is not something that comes naturally to any of us. Because in all honesty, we all want to be somebody because we think only if we're somebody will we be loved. Only if we're successful, the world has said, will you be loved. That's a very painful issue. When you look at your life and say, has my life really mattered to anybody? Does anybody care? Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross, saying, Father, Did all of this matter? Did it matter that I came? And he cries out, cries out on that cross. My God, my God, why have you deserted me? God didn't desert him on the cross. He left him to do what he came to earth to do. He was present. Jesus was God on the cross. But he had so shielded that God part. And he was so much into being the human that he could not access emotionally the reality of who he was. There are going to be times in your life when you cannot access emotionally who you are in God. And you're going to say, I might as well give up. I might as well turn away. I've done all of this for nothing. Look at how much I've sacrificed, and it's meant nothing to the people I've sacrificed for. Some of you may feel that way today. What's my life really been worth? It's been a sham. And then some of you are going to be saying to yourself, look what a mess I've made. Look how far I should be down the road, and now I'm only this far. Do you know sometimes I say to myself, I have wasted so much time, and my mind is so clouded, and I'm so dumb, I'm not sure any of this matters. And as soon as that begins to come upon me, I say, thank you, Jesus, because I'm not supposed to matter. 
and I turn the devil's attack right against him. And I say, Mr. Devil, I don't count, but my Jesus counts. My Jesus counts. I don't need to be successful. I don't need to be somebody. I don't need anybody to fawn over me and tell me how wonderful I am. Because my Jesus is wonderful. My God is so wonderful. And his love is poured out for me and for you. Some of you have a attention span similar to that of the children we had a minute ago. I want to look at this. I want to go here. I want to go there. You're almost fanatic in your shopping or in your busy work schedule. Never taking time to just reflect and be quiet and listen to what Jesus wants to say to you. And if you listen carefully enough, you'll hear Jesus say, I love you. Why don't you just go ahead and die and let it go? Why don't you stop trying to be somebody? Why don't you let me be somebody in you? You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Boy, I wish when I was a young man, somebody would have sat with me and said, Ray, let me give you a secret of life. Let me give you the wisdom of the ages. You don't have to be somebody. Because Jesus is somebody. I wonder how much energy you put out this week trying to be somebody. I wonder how much you walked around at work saying to yourself, I'm better than that person. No, I'm not the best here, but I'm better than they are. They're dumb. If they could only be like me. No. Jesus did not have to prove to anybody who he was. He didn't have to prove his worth. He was God. He was God. Wrapped in human flesh. The most precious Christmas gift that was ever given was Jesus. Wrapped in flesh. And he comes and he says, let me wrap you. Let me wrap you. Oh, I'm nobody, Jesus. You're right, you're nobody. Let me wrap you. I can't do it, Jesus. Good. Let Jesus wrap you. You're not supposed to be able to do it. Notice. Verse 8. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus and God the Father are the same person. You you get this. Jesus is God. The fullness of God was in this man called Jesus. He is the gospel. He is the Christmas story. He has given himself to us. Now, please, there's honesty in advertising, and I must say this. If you receive Jesus, he will kill you. Okay? If you receive the gift of Jesus, he will take your life. You are not going to be able to use Jesus to accomplish a better human life. If you receive Jesus, his job is to transition you into himself to make you righteous, to make you clean, to wash you in the blood, to turn aside all of the darkness that has been encroaching on your heart and your life so that your life now is hidden in Jesus Christ. And there's no place now for the wickedness of the devil. There's no place for proving that I'm better than you are. There's no place for being somebody. Jesus is somebody, and I am his servant. And I worship him, and I humbly follow him. So truth in advertising, don't try to use Jesus to improve your life. You have to lose your life. You have to give up your life. How do you do that? You do it in two ways. You do it, first of all, by giving Jesus permission to have your life. And a part of giving Jesus permission to have your life is making a vow with him that you will only receive from his hand what he chooses to give you that you will no longer go after anything for yourself. You will give yourself to him. Secondly, it means that you will do exactly what he tells you to do. That you are no longer the boss. He is the one who will direct your steps. And you let the Holy Spirit direct your steps. And I know of so many even in this room, who say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not ready to give him full control. Jesus, why don't you come and be my co-pilot? And I'm the pilot, you are the co-pilot, and when I disagree with where you're taking me, I have the right to overrule your direction. You're headed for a mountainside you'll crash into. Let me be very frank with you. 
Jesus is not interested in being your co-pilot. Jesus is not interested in you taking him with you wherever you go. He is interested in being the pilot of your life, and he is interested and very concerned about you going with him where he wants to go. I hope you hear one clear statement today. The Christmas story is about God wrapping himself in human flesh. It is about God coming and dwelling among us. The Christmas story is about our being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have way too much religion and not nearly enough gospel. Mighty God, help us to get rid of our religion and receive the gospel. Lord, thank you. I celebrate today your birth in a manger where you became flesh and dwelled among us. In the name of Jesus, amen.